welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Welcome to On the Record this week. My guest is Mike Campbell, President and CEO of Leather Italia. Mike, welcome. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Uh, great to be here. Beautiful uh, location and, and appreciate all the hospitality. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. One of the things we like to talk about uh, on, on the record is kind of the trajectory of people's careers. Tell me how you got started in the furniture business. Well, I think it's really an interesting story. A lot of folks have asked, and um, I've, I've been quiet through the years because, you know, I don't want to be... Uh, the hero in my own story, and, and I, I like for folks to, to say things about our company or myself, um, you know, rather than I, so I've been a little bit shy in doing that, but it's really interesting. I like to think that Leather Italia uh, it started by love. I had, <laughs> I had met my wife uh, uh, second year. I was uh, home from college, and um, I was working at a, at a car wash, and she came through, and um, I, uh, I, I just was mesmerized and, um, uh, you know, fell in love right away and went back to school and uh, we stayed together. And, you know, after school, I said, well, I'm going to go on back because I wasn't going to leave her. And I got back and really couldn't find a a job or pick a direction or a career that um, that I wanted to go in. Uh, And my mother-in-law had uh, had really helped me out a lot and um, had set me up an appointment with the Job Security Commission downtown in High Point. And I'll never forget, I, I got there about uh, 4.45 on a Friday afternoon, and I just couldn't find a job or anything, but I was not going to leave uh, my, my wife of, of uh, 30 years now, Teresa, and uh, go back to law school or, or do anything like that. I just wanted to leave her. So I went and met this really nice lady, and I'll never forget, it was back in the day uh, uh, they had microfish, you know, and I went in and... Um, she looked at me and she said, Michael, we just don't have anything. And I said, oh, you have to have something. I said, I got to get, I got to get moving. Uh, you know, I got to get going. And she said, I'm just sorry to tell you, we don't. And um, so I had a dollar and uh, 38 cent in my car. I'll never forget it uh, because I always used to associate the thought with, wow, that's the same amount of money I used to pay in the eighth grade for lunch. So um, I just started walking down Main Street. Uh, my car was completely out of gas, by the way. I started walking down. I went into three places. First place, and nah, we don't have anything going on. We don't, uh, we don't need you or uh, any help. Second place, same thing. Well, third place uh, was a retail furniture store uh, right on the corner at the time of, of Kivet. And I saw a light on in the back. It was about 535, 540 by this time. And I had walked uh, Main Street. Um, I guess it had probably been three-quarters of a mile or so. And um, I walked back and knocked on this metal door, and uh, uh, nobody answered. But I saw a broom, and I said, this is, this is the decision. I grabbed that broom, and I started sweeping. And I swept a loading dock for about six or seven minutes, and then the gentleman came back and out of the room, and he said, what in the world are you doing? And I said, well, I'm working. And he said, well, you don't work here. And I said, well, I do now. I said, I've got to find a job. And um, I had no idea if this place was a furniture store, a hardware store, or what it was. And um, he said, you really want to work that hard? I said, I sure do. And uh, so he said, well, just hang on, put the broom down. I'll be right back. And uh, I said, well, I'm not going to stop sweeping. I'll, I'll be here when you get back. 
And uh, so um, he came back in about 10 minutes and he said, all right, if you're going to work that hard, uh, the owner said I could, I could hire you. And I said, well, fantastic. I'll do anything. And so um, I went back, walked back down and um, actually uh, was able to get some gas in the car and get back home. And I started the following Monday and started working about uh, seven days a week and uh, unloading trucks and that type of thing for about the first uh, uh, month. And then one day, the owner of that retail furniture store came out and said, um, yeah, I understand you went to school and uh, you present yourself well, what have you. Would you like to sell furniture? And I said, yeah, I think I would. And that sounds interesting. So she said, well, show back up here tomorrow in a tie and um, uh, I'll, I'll start working with you. And I said, okie doke. So uh, I went in and boy, she was just a wonderful teacher. I learned about the furniture industry, a crash course in about a week, or at least all of the lines that uh, they carried. and and um, uh, I took off and absolutely fell in love with it and, um, and really, really enjoyed the people. And uh, I, I started really learning the business a little bit, or like I said, at least the manufacturers that that, that retailer carried, and uh, found that I had a great interest in furniture and a love for it. And um, a few months later, the uh, furniture store uh, closed and relocated actually into uh, uh, South Carolina. And of course, I, I didn't move. And, um, and I think that's when, when my life really changed and, and when I think Leather Italia to some degree or at least the, the mindset was started, I was very fortunate to um, uh, answer a, uh, uh, an ad, an interview for a job that um, uh, was a husband and wife team had um, uh, the USA sales rights to um, uh, a leather tannery out of Australia. And uh, I got that job. and. Um, started selling uh, the actual raw material um, and and uh, really, really in, enjoyed that. We had a, a warehouse and um, I would travel to Hickory and uh, I had GSA contracts and we had uh, you know auto aftermarket contracts and uh, was really doing well. And at that time you could count on two hands, you know, quite frankly, the only people uh, in the industry that, you know, the, that, that did leather, uh, manufactured it, so you could get to them really easy. Did the, did the experience that you had selling the finished product on the sales floor help you to sell the hides? Did it give you some knowledge and experience in how to approach that and how to position it properly? Yeah, I think it did. Um, I, I think, you know, just, just having the background of being able to talk to people and approach them and answer questions intelligently, uh, it, it did provide that. Um, the science of leather, though, however, uh, was was very intriguing and much much different. Uh, having to understand the material and the the product and the tannage and the grading system and yeah, being able to present that and relay it uh, in a way that um, was understandable and and also price competitive was a, a, a real you know, particular uh, pillar that you had to have in in selling the material versus a completely finished product at retail, but there were symbolisms. Now, how, how long were you uh, with that company? So I was with uh, the Leather Tannery Company for um, about five and a half years. And then they actually sold. Uh, the company, again, was based out of Australia, and they sold to an Australian company. And um, I was approached to continue on, and they wanted to uh, utilize my skill set and relocate me out to California to, to head up the auto aftermarket. And um, I asked them if the uh, husband and wife team were, were part of the deal. And they said, no, they wanted to retain me, but not renew the rights. And I, I wouldn't do it. I said, well, I, 
I won't leave them behind. So I woke up uh, pretty much the next day without a job. And um, that's kind of where the uh, the mindset of um, Leather Italia started. Because even in the supply side, um, I used to envision, wow, what if you just had leather sofas sitting right here like we have all these hides or love seats or chairs or you know, recliners, and you could just um, take an order and ship it out right away. I mean, what a concept. So I even thought about that in the finished goods side, uh, even back in, in that time, not knowing that one day I would um, have built this company and, uh, and be doing exactly that. Okay, so th- that's a big jump from being out of a job now you have a finished goods. Let's see if we can't fill in some of the gaps in that, in that story there. How did you get started with Leather Italia, and how did you execute on that concept? Sure. I had met some Italians uh, in Binghamton, New York, and there was a little bit of a uh, um, language barrier, and they, they really didn't understand uh, what, I, uh, what I did necessarily, and, and nor did I understand what they really did. And um, I... Uh, um, contacted them after you know I was free and clear and uh, I went to Italy and found them and uh, I didn't know anything about Italy and and but at that time it was um, very very understood that Italy was very fashionable very dominant with uh, leather production and that intrigued me quite a bit and I wanted to find my own way so I went there and found the two gentlemen and um, found uh, two factories that uh, would make a couple of frames that, that I felt would would do okay in the market. And um, I made three frames with them over in uh, uh, Quarata, Italy, that's right outside of Florence. And um, then I, I stayed there for a couple of months and met some tanneries and, and networked and put some things together and then uh, air freighted the uh, three groups back and um, borrowed my father-in-law's truck and uh, took them to High Point, and that was my first market, and that was November. Actually, all of that uh, was was November 21 of 1997, and then my uh, Leather Italia's first market was the following April. So you, were la- you land in Italy. Yep. You don't speak Italian. Nope. You don't know where these gentlemen are? No. Or, <clears throat> how, how did you go from there to finding them? And putting together frames, had you ever designed furniture before? No, I had not. I just had an eye. But what I, what I did know was the cover. I knew if I could get to the right article, I could get it to the, uh, to the finished product. And I felt pretty, pretty good about that. Uh, we could have some success. Um, there was a, a, a lady that was sent uh, when I landed in Florence to meet me, and she had a sign that said, Michael. And that was it. I'm thinking, well, I hope there's... Hope I'm the only Michael in Florence, Italy today. And um, uh, she had picked me up, and uh, they spoke no no English at all. And uh, she spoke very little, and uh, drove me out to this to this village, basically, quite frankly. And I um, stayed the night in a hotel, and then ended up meeting up with them in a factory the following day. Now you had a, a familiarity with hides. Yeah. Tell me what you wanted in that first group. What kind of hides did you want? What kind of look did you want? What did you think from the start that you wanted in terms of the, the perception of your product? I, you know, ironically, much like we've talked about today, uh, trends change, um, uh, styles change, but at that time it was a, a very heavy 
traditional market. So I was really seeking and going after um, three different uh, nailhead uh, brown, you know, leather uh, covers with a Sauvage effect and a, a light sheen. I felt that that was a, a fastball right down the middle. And so uh, that's exactly what I, what I brought back. So you have them air freighted, you have three frames and a truck. Tell me how you got to High Point. Tell me what was your first space like? What? Well, tell me what that first market, that first market was like. What that feel like for you? Well, it was scary a little bit. Um, it, it it felt pretty good um, uh, to know that uh, you know I had made the decision. I think that a lot of times there, there's some amazingly intelligent people that uh, come right to the right to the cliff of of being their entrepreneur, you know, or staying, uh, you know, in a, uh, uh, you know, a silo or what have you that, that they may not necessarily want to be at. And you have to make a decision, right? At some point, you either go all in or, or you don't. And I felt very proud that I was all in. And I really wasn't, uh, I wasn't scared or concerned or anything. I knew that um, you know, I'd get up at dark and I'd get home at dark, just like I will today. And I'd go seven days a week as hard as I had to go. And uh, I wouldn't let anybody down. I just needed the opportunity, and uh, I, I had no idea. I was looking at a, a black hole, a dot, 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 like we all do. And um, I had started Leather Italia with my home equity line, so um, I was probably more afraid to continue to tell my wife that that was getting absorbed really quick. <laughs> and so that was more uh, of the scarier part. But, but I had confidence, and uh, I knew that if you uh, – I told the truth and did the right things and um, held to the values that I uh, felt like I had, had always had, um, I'd be okay. And that I, I didn't think or know, uh, I felt very strongly I wouldn't get outworked and um, that, that, that there'd be some type of reward for that at least. Who was the first customer that came into your showroom? Do you remember who, who came uh, yes, in? Yes, I do. It was Todd Kester with um, Rose Furniture here in High Point. Ah, okay. Sure was. Did you sell them? I did. Well, yeah, never met him either. He's a really nice guy, great family, and those types of things. And um, and it, it was amazing because I was in an area that that was probably uh, uh, about the size of this room, and um, I just had three groups, and I had sublet. I think I paid uh, six hundred and fifty dollars for that market um, from a, a gentleman who was in the case good business, and uh, he had some uh, dining rooms and things like that up ahead, and. I was kind of tucked away in the back corner, uh, but I was I was ready to go, and so that was my uh, that was my first um, high point meeting and first sale. So it, it's a huge leap to go from having three frames on a floor. Somebody says I love it. Now you have to bring it into production. You have to tell me a little bit about the steps and what you had to go through to to build that from the ground up. Well, great question. Uh, an enormous amount of communication and and staying true uh, to to what you're seeking in the um, in the final product and not accepting subpar standards or indifferences from what you show or backing away from your specs and um, making sure that you you stay very focused on uh, driving your message and enormous amount of travel um, back on the plane really fast back over. Uh, two or three days here, there, back in a tannery, back here. Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, it was a, there were a lot of cost up front 
that I had uh, air freighted uh, so that I could do my own approval and QC on a, on a chair or a love seat or something like that. Um, and, and I think that's really about it. You just have to focus and stay true to your plan and make sure you stay uh, on task and, and don't, you don't go too fast. You make sure that you prove the theory and you deliver whether it's one frame or 1,000 frames, um, you know, in, in exact manner that, that you present. And, uh, and I was uh, pretty good at doing that with, with three. And then as time uh, progressed, uh, I hope that I'm still pretty good doing it at uh, a lot more. <laughs> so 22 years has gone by. If you could go back in the time machine and tell 1997 Mike, Mike, don't do this. Make sure you do that. Were there some things that you look at and you say, I wish I had known? Yeah, but you know what? I Yes, and I'll answer the question, but I always felt that uh, you know, when you're confident and you're and you're really, really focused, uh, you make good decisions. You make great decisions. The outcomes may not be very good, and so I think I have to go back and analyze the outcome from some of those what I thought were great decisions. Um, things that I think you could go back, or I could go back and do a little bit different. Uh, at times when I had the opportunities to progress the company forward and to really, really move quickly. Um, uh, I, there's a couple of times in the history books where, where I probably could have done that. I, and and I, I did catch that growth and opportunity later, but some of my patience and conservatism may have, um, may have held me back a little bit. And I wish that I would have been a lot smarter at that time. Uh, on, on capital, you know, I'm a better CEO today, and I'm a better person today um, by by having a, a wonderful team and a long-standing team around me. And I wish that it, you know that allowed me to get a lot smarter and, and to be better. Uh, and I wish I would have known things about a lot more about factoring at that time, a lot a lot more about how to handle AR um, and, and uh, be a little bit more of a versatile hybrid versus. Um, my keen focus was was so structured on just leather and the finished product. Now, uh, my wife was um, was was the accounting and the and the real strength and backbone of the company. Uh, but later on, ultimately, I I had to learn from her, and I, I work with a lot of banks. And I think going back, I wish I'd have spent some more time and and um, you know learning that part of it, and not just spending uh, the greater part of those years. Um, on just the uh, product development and the leather. When you started to make your first hires as the business was growing, where did you find it necessary to make those first couple of hires? What were the, the areas where you started to reach outside the family first? Well, I'll tell you, the um, uh, the first employee that I ever hired was my mother-in-law. and um, Brave move. <laughs> brave move, brave move. And it was the best one uh, I ever made. Um, we had lived here, of course, and then moved to Wilmington. And, and uh, as soon as all the, the grandkids started coming, they, they followed, and uh, which is awesome. And so she was um, she had a lot of experience. They had been in the industry. Um, but I really looked at uh, concentrating on North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, uh, states that I had gotten to by myself and, and I felt had developed um, Virginia uh, as well with um, – 
uh, you know, being able to get in the car and, and get there, I looked at the first, uh, you know, sales reps and making sure I could get four, five, six people to kind of pick up what I had 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 started in, in a foundation, so to speak, and, and grow it. And then internally, um, I looked for folks that um, were personality fits. Um, I was uh, very determined that I always wanted to be known and uh, take credit for being a family-owned business, and uh, and 100% today, uh, I'm it. I mean, we're literally having a board meeting right now. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, it, I wanted to make sure that the values of people and their credibility and ethics and integrity were in check, and the other parts would come along. Some of that I was able to find in the industry. Some I wasn't. Some I had to go outside and 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 look look elsewhere. But um, uh, that that's been the biggest probably um, uh, perspective I think even today. Uh, you know, you have to fit. You know, us and we have to fit you, and and then we'll we'll figure the rest out. But um, we've been pretty fortunate in that. One of the challenges that a lot of companies have is when it's very small, it's very personal. So communication is very easy, right? You're all sitting around in a small office space and culture is whatever the, the personalities are of those three, four, five people in a room. But as you start to grow the business, the ability to put in place structures and processes and all of those kinds of things can be a challenge. What kind of culture did you want to create as you started to hire those people and bring new people in? What kind of things did you do to try and make sure that everybody understood your culture and what was important to you? The uh, first thing was uh, lead by example and and to be sure that, um, uh, for instance, Marshall Evans, who's who's been with me now for uh, uh, 15 years, um, was was watching how I spoke, uh, watching what I promised. Um, uh, making clear what I couldn't do, spending more time on that than what we could do. But the culture was to perform um, and to do every single thing that we prepared for uh, in, in our game plan of a market or calling on a new dealer, and that we did everything to the very best of our ability to educate and that we brought as many folks as we could into the mindset of who we are. See, a lot of times, I believe that your miscommunication about your culture is just because folks don't continue to teach it. You have to continue to teach it, and that's not always uh, an internal thing. That's very external. Now, it takes a long time. It's certainly a marathon, not a sprint. But I worked very hard at that. I worked to, to show folks that... Um, uh, our culture was I had had probably done it first. I had probably unloaded a lot more containers uh, by myself or with another person, and I'd probably been on the phone with uh, uh, the Murrows family and, and uh, begged uh, Fred Murrows to get a truck down because I had my car packed, and I had 16 pieces that weren't sold off that first container, and I had to go, and I would, and, and, and to show them not to be satisfied. I think that's also part of our culture. You know, we... Um, We've got uh, we've got a lot of uh, aggressive folks in our uh, in our company now, and uh, we don't want to just become complacent. And our culture, I think, was to guard against complacency. But I really tried to lead by example first, and then have folks follow what had gotten us to that point, and quite frankly, elongate from it. Now you've mentioned it's a family business. You're in the business. Your wife is in the business. Other family members. Yes, um, I had my father-in-law in the business shortly after my mother-in-law, uh, 
and he ran our warehouse for a number of years. Of course, they retired. They were not shareholders or anything of that nature. They were company employees, but uh, stellar. Uh, and then my mother has, has been with us for about 15 years. And I also have my, I'm sorry, I also have my daughter, Brooke, uh, who's second generation uh, in the uh, business, and my son-in-law, Zachary. Your, your son-in-law actually does leather intelligence videos for you now, right? He does. He does. He's a uh, he can really pepper the gumbo. He gets after it pretty good. <laughs> he's a, he's an all star, and he's been recognized. And uh, I I have um, enjoyed watching watching him and and uh, my daughter grow uh, with genuine interest in the industry. Both would be successful if I didn't exist uh, in our industry. But um, they're doing great things, and and I think. Uh, Zach, in particular, when he really continues to grow in the in the industry and um, hone in on the acumen and 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 step into some of the other areas that I mentioned earlier that I wish I would have uh, gravitated to uh, a lot quicker or uh, poked around in a lot quicker. I, you know, those will those will be great great times for him ahead and, and and Brooke as well. They've done a great job. Well, it's nice that they've got somebody to coach him and show them that way. Absolutely. You kind of had to figure it out by yourself as you went along. I did. I had to figure a lot out, and uh, but that was okay. I, I always felt, and I told my wife, you know, whenever we would uh, get a knockout punch or, you know, you, you don't win every day. Uh, you, you try, but, but some days you just don't. I guess the, the bear gets you or you get the bear kind of thing. But um, I, I always told her, I said, you know, it's good things or great things are going to happen. It's just, you know, you have to stay on your path. And you have to stay focused and positive, and uh, don't don't veer, and um, uh, pick yourself back up. And um, I was uh, determined, as I am today, to to not fail. And and you know when you when you do what I've done with Leather Italia, it is very personal. Um, whether it's the second day on the job or uh, 25 years later. Um, you know, you give your word. Uh, you've got your your name. Um, I'm 100% shareholder, so uh, you know why wouldn't I take it personal? I take it very personal, and I look at families. Um, I was never ever motivated ever to get into this for financial gain and the money. I felt that those things would come if you do all the other things right. Um, but I take families very serious. I take people very serious, and yeah, you know, I think our industry needs to, to to say to herself, "Wow, wait a second. My decision, what I, uh, what I say to China at night, what I say to whoever factory at night, you know that that's those are heavy words. What I say to someone and I give them a job, I mean, you bring a leather sofa over, and um, you know that touches uh, a lot of transportation people, ocean freight, uh, intra transit folks, warehouse folks. It gets over to uh, a retail store that. Uh, uh, you know, a retail salesperson that sold it touches their family, and they're they're you know looking at that for survival, and um, down to the delivery uh, person who uh, takes it into the home somewhere around the country, and um, uh, you know it, it, my decisions touch a lot of people, and I've always taken that enormously serious, and um, and I do, so uh, I I won't let those people down. And that's the thing, if people sometimes knew how hard. I'd work for them. I think they'd be lined up around High Point a few times, but uh, that's a cool thing to stay focused on. Now, you've been in the business, the company, over 22 years now. If we were to go back to 1997 and look at the top 100 retailers, there's quite a few names that are no longer there. The business has changed quite a bit. Correct. 
Um, on the leather side, as you look at how that business has evolved, what are some of the most noticeable changes that you've seen? Consistency. Um, I think that there have been wonderful companies, uh, very talented people um, that um, I think that I've seen some complacency in the industry. Um, I've seen uh, the, um, the inability to really stay focused on uh, this is what I think has, has been one of the biggest changes where a lot of companies just haven't been focused on what they do well. And so they got complacent in other areas, be it transitional, be it traditional, be it uh, contemporary, what have you, um, uh, you know, had, had passed them by and they, they didn't necessarily grasp uh, the moment and the time or have a plan where they, you know, a lot of retailers will say, wow, uh, everyone's doing mid-century modern. That's, this is just an example. Mm -hmm. um, Michael, are you going to do mid-century modern? modern? Yes, uh, we, we will, but we have a plan, and we will, we will launch it when, you know, we, we really are, are, are ready, and we won't try to be everything to everyone, but we'll be really good at the one thing or two or three. And um, I think that's been the biggest change. I think leather as a whole... Uh, has has stayed consistent. If you talk about the raw material, it's um, you know there's only so much you can really really do, and there's quite a bit. But uh, with with you know a, a bovine hide, the hide never really changes except from size, right? It's the finishing aspect and the technical procedures. But um, that I have seen uh, stay pretty consistent. But the um, uh, the companies that that I think have kind of come in and out or were really hard chargers and high-level companies. Um, a couple out there had some had some pretty big, uh, some pretty big hits that, rather than stay in and respectfully, you know, take the medicine and work through it, and have a plan. Um, you know, maybe maybe didn't do that, or maybe came back as something else, and that's fine. I mean, everybody has their own plan, but um, I think the ones that could could stay in and grind it out and stay true to what they're doing and, and, and get into the other areas of um, design and, and product mix have, have been uh, much more sustainable. Well, it's, in, it's interesting that you mentioned changes in design and product mix because this year you had a, a pretty significant change. You took some product that you'd been doing OEM that was a little more mm -hmm. contemporary and you put that into your core line. Tell me about that. Yeah, that that's exactly right, and and it was the time. Um, you know, we didn't want to chase um, business, and we didn't want to just put a quality product out that um, had our name on it and our DNA on it, and uh, and go after price points and that type of thing. Uh, so we created the Luso uh, program, which which gave us a, a much more uh, modern and and um, uh, you know very very. Um, clean and, and stylish look and uh, we we've got a, a great young man named Dharma Leggett who took the leadership of that and um, really really did a great job and it, it was my plan for a long time to start bringing that collection into our our regular uh, you know leather Italia program um, but it, it was timing and and we saw as we had done some OEM and as I have traveled I, I see more and more of that and when you look outside uh, you know, don't don't keep the blinders on just in quote unquote North America. You know, you look in the Russian market, you look in the 
uh, European markets. Uh, you know, you look over in um, Japan and, and you look at the different types of product that are going in, and it's, it's very heavily driven uh, with, with that type of Lusso. Uh, collection. So it was time for us to get a little bit more on the world stage because we sell to uh, a lot of countries and um, uh, the request was there and we needed to we needed to meet it and elongate it and not just stay uh, uh, in the OEM. We would protect and we did and we'll always protect our OEM business and partners but um, it was time for us to, to launch it. So it's been an exciting collection. Now, from the silhouette standpoint, it's sleeker, it's cleaner, it's more contemporary. Is there also a scale story there? Do you see that need to address apartment living, smaller homes, even in the leather category? Absolutely, definitely. The first thing everyone says is the millennials and the lofts, and and but but there really is a, a lot of truth to that. And I also say, well, wait a second. That's not just the millennial and the lofts. That's traditional families with very large homes. They may have finished rooms over the garage. They may take an old garage and turn it into something else. They may they may want two love seats instead of uh, one sofa and chair in, in a room. And a lot of um, a lot of traditional families that have been through. Uh, two generations of raising kids, you know, they're, they're, a lot of homes are being redone right now, and they're coming back with some of those clean lines and sophisticated looks as well, and it's a little bit of a turn on that, but um, in, in the industry, and then I think you always come back to transitional and traditional if that's where you've always been, but color's important. You can definitely show, I think, a, a, a much better color spray and, and um elongation colorways on that type of product but uh, scale is important but you can't lose the comfort and uh, and function if it's motion and it has to to work like a a motion chair would and um, so I think we we've done a pretty good job at that a lot of companies as they grow they start to look at adjacencies well you know we're, we're in leather maybe we should be in fabric we're in Stationary, we should be in upholstery. Maybe we should experiment with case goods. You've taken a very focused approach and stayed very true to your vision. Why is that? Uh, I get asked that question a lot, and I have had a lot of opportunities, um, and I respect those opportunities, but I, I, I was not educated in case goods or rugs or uh, artwork and, and add-on sales, and I just felt, me personally, this is a very personal thing, that uh, I would be doing a great injustice to um, the account base, the culture, the history of Leather Italia uh, to, to start launching into uh, other areas that, that I'm not a, um, um, you know, a, a professional in or a, you know, a, a master in. And, and I don't want to be looked at ever, I don't want to be looked at as a, a guy or a company that added something to you know, run their top line up and to capture more margin or an add-on sale. I, um, I, I just kind of felt that, uh, you know, staying focused and um, uh, staying that track was, was the best way for me to, um, to, to, to go in the marathon of this. Now, I'm going to circle back to the family question. A lot of people in the business today are having challenges, both retailers and manufacturers, with bringing the next generation into their business. A lot of young people don't want to be in the furniture business. They don't want to be in the family business. You successfully lured your daughter into the furniture business. Yeah. Is there a trick? Is there a secret? Is there some advice you can offer somebody that uh, that helped her to, to actually want to be in the business? Because at the end of the day, you can't force anybody, right? It has to be attractive to them. It has to be something they want to do. What was that process for, for mm -hmm. your daughter to become involved in the business over time? Uh, it was interesting. Um, first of all, I, I had 
worked very hard to make sure that uh, my two oldest daughters, uh, Brooke and Morgan, would um, have the opportunity to go to school and, and college and, 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 you know, like every parent, you know, attack and, and look at all the green pastures. Um, fortunately, and, and a little bit unknowingly, uh, Brooke came back and was um, in the medical field and had a degree in biology and that kind of thing and had a, had a great interest in um, uh, the businesses as she had matured. So answering the question first, I think the introductory, uh, and I'm speaking as a parent, uh, to a child that you may be interested in uh, coming in, I think you have to really make sure they're mature and ready to have the conversation because a lot of times it's, oh, Dad, I don't want to do that. They don't see that there, you know, there is an existing platform that a torch can be passed or uh, you know, your thoughts and um, uh, energy can be used to, to, to really move the, the needle, so to speak. And I think it's a, a timing of, of maturity where um, they do recognize or they have paid attention and it kind of sinks in as to what you're doing. And, and um, in my case, uh, I, I decided to let it come natural and to see if, uh, you know, anyone stepped up and wanted to, to learn more about what I do or uh, was interested in um, any of the articles I had written, written or sales training I had done all over the world on leather, anything like that interest. And I would throw that across the, the plate a couple of times and um, see if there was a genuine Q&A from it. And uh, with Brooke, there was. And um, uh, Brooke has the spirit. Uh, she's quiet, but uh, uh, she really gets it done. I mean, she gets it done. I wonder where she gets that. <laughs> Her mother. <laughs> I don't know. I've been listening to your story. It sounds like she might get it from both of you. She may. And then um, my new Zachary was coming along uh, early in the game. I had met met him when uh, Brooke was in college. And, um, you know, if I could find 100 Zachs, I'd take them. Uh, and, and so yeah, that was a great fit uh, and a great story on its own. You know, Zachary had indicated he was coming to Wilmington regardless and um, you know he wanted to know if I would hire him uh, this is while he was a uh, right out of uh, well he was about the end of his senior year in college and I said no I said I want you to find a job and I want you to uh, you know make make sure that you you know go your way and you deal with different personalities and and different folks and um, uh, we'll look and, and see how you do down the line, but not leather tag is not a not an option. And uh, Zachary knew Brooke was coming back. Well, a couple of days later, uh, Zach had a job with a pharmaceutical company and took the job. And in about a year, he had elevated at ninety seven percent. And uh, they started sending him to um, uh, territorial regional training. And he would call me and he would say, "Well, Mr. Campbell, I'm going to Richmond. Mr. Campbell, I'm going down to Tampa." And I said, well, "What are you going to do down there?" And he would say, "Well." Uh, I'm going to this conference, and they're training these regional. And I told my wife, I said, I might better go ahead and get Zach. I may not be able to afford him here in the next month or two. So uh, Zach and, and Brooke, I think, had their own intellect and their own concept and, and drive and interest to um, join up in the family business. But, but I think answering your question truthfully, I think you have to really monitor and, and check the maturity level and and, and throw some things by the plate instead of bulldozing it on top of them. Or uh, the worst thing I think I could have ever done was try to make either one of my, my children, you know, come into the business. Um, and, and, and then I have to monitor too. I have to reciprocate. And 
uh, make sure they're going to be capable because just because they're my children, I, I've got a lot of loyalty to the Leather Italia family and I just can't put them in there if they're not a fit uh, or they're not going to be successful. They've got to put themselves in the, in the right seat uh, to be successful. So it, it's a little bit of both. It's, it's very difficult and uh, a lot of measures, a lot of patience and a lot of time um, and just go into it educated and non-pressured and, and uh, you know, throw some things across the table and see what you can get sent back. Sounds a little like your son-in-law takes after his father-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> he used to have that same drive, and uh, he was determined to be where the woman that he loved was going to be. He was coming. Uh, he didn't have a job, but he was coming. I, um, that sounds like the story we started this show with. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, it, it, was, uh, uh, it was a very, um, very scary thing to, uh, to take that, that second mortgage out on the home, but... <laughs> Uh, I think there's there's probably better stories and more interesting stories, but um, I'm I'm proud of mine and and, and I'm proud of the uh, culture and business that we've built. I I always wanted a, a great group of people to wake up every day, uh, Bill, and and say, uh, you know, I, I don't mind going to work and I'm going to a family business and it's um, uh, it, there's opportunity to be challenged and and to grow. Uh, and, and I've been very blessed uh, to, to see several people come through our company and retire from sales representatives to, uh, uh, you know, on, to our staff. And, um, and it, you know, you look at Marshall Evans, uh, when he came in, I've been able to, to watch him, uh, you know, have three children and buy a home and, um, you know, different cars and uh, uh, provide for his family. And um, that's that to me is what it's really all about, and uh, having great leaders like Bill McVicker and folks that you know would um, go through the wall for you. But I always tell them you'll you'll be going through the hole that that I already went through for you, and so uh, it, it's really neat. It's it's nice like that. That's very good. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and chat with us Thank today. You. I hope you enjoyed being on On the Record as much as we enjoyed having you here. Well, I did, and I really appreciate the hospitality and uh, the professionalism and all that you do, and this has been very nice. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm Bill McLaughlin, and this was On the Record. 